today I have with me uh, Joy Person. She's been <laughs> involved in standards for a really long time. I've done her through TC39. So thanks for joining with me today. Of course, I always enjoy chatting with you. Can you uh, go into more of your background, actually? Because I know there's a lot to cover. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's interesting because standards work is considered sort of like this older population of people care about standards. But um, and then there's me. I'm very young. <laughs> I just want everybody to know. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and and so you know, it's sort of like how how I fell down that rabbit hole is mm-hmm. kind of interesting because I came to work in twenty end of twenty eleven uh, here at Boku, um, which is where we're recording from today, and um, we had this like really cool office space. And my job was to, at the time, was to do training classes and events and stuff um, that were like, you know, kind of furthering our, our commitment and our, um, activities in the broader community. And we would host things like the W3C tag meeting and, um, you know, different, like the Mongo community, uh, working group meetings and TC39 meeting and like things like that. And, you know, I had been, part of open source. I knew what open source was. I knew, you know, what the W3C was. I knew what these organizations did, but I never really thought about like how technology gets made, you know? And so then we would start hosting these meetings and I realized like, oh, so what happens is just a bunch of people get in a room and like kind of argue with each other (laughs) for three days. And then out the other side, that like we have a, a tech, yeah, standard, what? Like that seems, you know. It seems like it would be more like complicated, but it's just a bunch of meetings and people talk about it. Right. Like exactly. You think, oh, there's got to be some process. process. Yeah. That, like, and, and further, I was seeing that the people in the room were like, like some of them were my age. Some of them were older. Like they looked like me. They didn't look like me. It's just like really like what, you know. Those there, I thought some like I don't know, like the Pope of Standards mm-hmm. comes down right. and like, and, people. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, how, how did all these people come to where they are? And then maybe there's all different stories, right? Yeah. So it was just, it just blew my mind. And and I realized that like it wasn't, it was both more complicated and not any more complicated than that. And so mm-hmm. from there, I just decided that I, I really wanted to know as much as I could about how this thing system worked because it was clearly something that was happening and that I was taking for granted. So it must be other people didn't know too. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's funny that you bring it up because I I feel like that's the same with like, say with me joining open source or anyone like there's that point. It's like, I don't know. It's like weird epiphany where you're like, you're using something or you're involved in something or like from an outside point of view looking in. And then you finally realize, like, oh, I could be part of this. Mm-hmm. I could be in the inside, or whatever. Yeah. Or that the whole that distinction is not that like far away for you. It's possible. Um, and yeah, I guess it's like one of your goals to help more people be a part of that, right? Right. Exactly. Oh, and that that's kind of what I was, you know, tasked to do. And and so then I got more involved in just helping plan meetings and helping um, just arrange just logistics and getting people plugged in. Cause it, I think a lot of what I learned 
early, early on was sometimes it was just a task of like making sure people knew what was going on. And that was, that was a barrier is just like knowledge of like, Oh, well this, the meeting's happening here and you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And here's how you get here, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. And, and then it kind of, um, my, my understanding of things kind of unfolded more as I realized like, maybe a meeting space and that kind of stuff is a shared common problem across the W3C or TC39 or whatever. But there, there are these other systems of decision-making that the W3C has that ECMO doesn't have, that Oasis doesn't have like, um, and that there was actually this whole industry behind what we were doing that we were kind of, making up in for the web, but, but it's actually, it's actually been around for a long, long time. Um, and then, so then I started getting into the history of standards and, you know, so I, I kind of identify as a bit of like a standards historian, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's interesting. Like the media, like the place is like, I guess it's not that different from like conference organizing. From like bringing people in logistics, but then the actual part of the meeting itself is like totally different. Um, so I guess maybe we should like back up a bit and then talk about like what, what exactly, how do we define like what a standard is? Mm. How do people think about them? Like when people hear the word standard, they probably think of like, 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 I don't know, electricity, like you have standards or like USB or like stuff like that, right? Yeah. And then it's like maybe even like how is that, are, is that different from like a, uh, open source standard or like uh, the web standards, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, s- talking earlier, how like we we kind of have this failure of language because we we use the word standard to do a lot of heavy lifting for us in different places. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, very specifically, when I'm talking about standards here, I'm talking about a technical specification of some kind that has gone through a fairly rigorous process um, that at the end of and and that the end result of that is a standards body has accredited accredited that's accredited that standard to say it has um, satisfied the rules of the process which often include rules about how decisions were made how um, uh, different parties or constituencies were consulted um, IPR commitments of some kind generally there's some sort of review period that um, the standards organization will will have so that people from within and without the organization can come in and say, you know, uh, raise any issues or, or concerns against that standard. And, and once that's all done, we say that that's a, and there may be some vote that's held as well, but when that, when that process is concluded, we say that that's now a W3C standard or an ECMA standard or an OASIS standard or a ITF standard, you know, and ostensibly from there, the standard is either, um, furthered through the international standard system, which could go through a national standards organization in the United States. We have ANSI, American National Standards Institute, but there's different, every, almost every national government has its own standards organization. Um, it could go to, um, the, 
ITU, it could go to ISO, um, but these are those are global standards organizations. And um, at that point, it's a kind of document that any government could say we want to have. Um, you know, we want to have a requirement that all electrical outlets hmm. in produced in our country meet that standard, for example. Yeah, there's so many questions around, like, <laughs> like who gets to be in the group and, like, how does, like, once you make a standard, how is it adopted and, like, is it adopted at all? Like, yeah. when do you make it? I guess, um, well, maybe we should talk first, like, what are the things that should be standardized um, or how do you decide what should be standardized even? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I think the, the first place to look at, you know, is there an opportunity? Should there be an opportunity to standardize something is where two systems are meeting, you know, um, Intersection. in the intersections. Exactly. Because really what a standard does is um, promote uh, interoperability of different kinds of systems. It could be data exchanges or it could be hardware interoperability or, you know, um, you know, whatever that, that case may be that the, the intent is to help, uh, you know, two things kind of talk to, talk to each other. It's just like API or interface. Yeah. It's just a shared interface. Exactly. And so where you have those um, shared interfaces, especially if those shared interfaces are potentially being produced by competing companies mm. or competing industries, but there is some social or cultural benefit to the two being able to communicate with each other, then, you know, that then we should be looking at whether that should be a standard because we don't want to lock people into one company's view of the world, yeah. one company's tools or solutions. I guess off of that, it's like, why, what incentive does a company have to do that? If like, especially if a company is maybe they're doing really well, they don't, they wouldn't want to give that, like say with I guess with Apple, like they have mm-hmm. their own standards for certain things. They don't want people to be able to like I guess use the same things for multiple devices or something. Yeah. So there have been a number of studies about the economic incentives actually to for companies to think about producing goods in a more interoperable way, um, and the studies tend to show that there may be some short term gain. Uh, from t- to be had by trying to lock something down, but over the long term, there's uh, you you end up paying more because you know in the case of um, like a, a company that becomes uh, that locks people in too much, you you have like the uh, the anti uh, what is it? I'm not I suddenly can't remember. It's not antitrust. But maybe it's, maybe that is what I'm trying to think of. But you you get this uh, the the punishment of being you know deemed a monopoly, and mm-hmm. so you know you have to break things up and um, and all that kind of thing. Uh, so so it's not always the most sound economic choice for a company um, to make. You you also have in government procurement mm-hmm. a lot of times there's a requirement that. To, yeah, that, that in order for, say, the government to purchase a, a technology, it can't just be, you know, the government can't say we, we want to purchase Microsoft Word, for example. It's It's got to be like 
you know, it's a word processing system that that produces open mm-hmm. standards so that they're not locked into one mm-hmm. particular um, uh, vendor. Because I mean, and I'm speaking, of course, from a U.S. centric perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of another kind of piece yeah. of the puzzle. Oh, no, that makes me think that like, so if the company is really powerful, they have an incentive to like kind of like have the market and then just take the format they use and make that the standard. So it's almost like making it more like, hey, this is what everyone uses because we have all the users mm-hmm. not become the same. Right. And so, you know, that, that's something that has started to pop up more as there's been kind of a shift in what we're producing and how quickly we produce it. Um, you know, standards, interoperable standards were extremely important in a world where we like our goods were physical, you know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about like if company A produces two by fours and company B produces two by fours and Mm -hmm. we want, you know, to build structures that are sound, Mm -hmm. (laughs) those had better be the same freaking size two by fours, you know, like that, that's, that's really, really important. Um, But, you know, we've, we've shifted to, you know, a, a digital world and we're producing, you know, uh, goods that are just at the end of the day, some combination of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't necessarily think about how important it is for um, our digital goods and services to be interoperable. Yeah. So the standard system that we have has, uh, in terms of the, the organizations that, you know, accredit standards like that, that's SDO system. SDO. Uh, standards developing organizations, that system of, of organizations has been around since the 1800s. So, um, we're talking about in some cases producing technical digital, like software standards using this like system from over a hundred years ago. That's nutty. That's so cool. (laughs) also crazy (laughs) and it it still works but it's the complaints are you know that obviously that's it's slow um and that it probably you know doesn't necessarily produce um you know solutions and things as quickly as as we would like Mm -hmm. so you know we get all of this innovation in the wild and open source and everything oh yeah i I think it's interesting you brought up this this transition period, which I guess everything has to seem to have to go through because we live in this technological age, but like, you know, like standards being about physical things and now being about visual things. Um, I mean, I guess even thinking about like Docker, like they used the analogy of the shipping container and how like that was standardized so that people could mm-hmm. put everything in the same container and then we just apply that analogy to software. Um, yeah, I guess it's interesting. Like, I don't know how many people like, are able to like move through that because um, like people that are not like stuck in the past, but like they're still digging a certain way, and other people are trying to like almost like I almost feel like people in the digital age always want to like start over, and they they forget the history. Yeah. Um, for everything. So and I feel like the same with open source. Like we get uh, you know we're in the GitHub age, and then you forget everything in the past. Um, right. Like <laughs> source forward, what was that? Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, when I, when I think about like what we're still carrying forward from, from mm-hmm. the 1800s, um, 
some of the things that I think that we, we got right that we mm-hmm. need to continue to carry forward are, are the, the system of like, you know, you know, one, one org, one vote, like let's get everybody around the table into some kind of like, they used to call them like congresses, which mm-hmm. was a fancier word for like tech conference, essentially <laughs> where, the, you know, back in the day they were writing really long letters and like, ink and quill, you know, arguing their points of view. Now we have GitHub issues for that, but, um, but they would get everybody in session to debate proposals and to um, raise concerns and that kind of thing. Um, And it is, it is synchronous. It's a synchronous Mm -hmm. thing, but we're, we still produce standards that way today. We still get all of the TC 39 delegates in a room six times a year. Um, and say what you want about how expensive that is. Um, it's really valuable, um, to get to know, you know, where your compatriots are coming from, Mm -hmm. some of the concerns that they have, you know, it, it, it moves more, you know, because I I think people that have not been to the meeting, they might think like, Oh, you only do things during the meetings. Like, well, people are talking on chat or GitHub asynchronously throughout between the meetings, but then it's like at the meetings you make the decisions. Right. And that that's that's exactly like that exact thing happened back then, you know, and it's happening now. And, you know, that's just a a function of basically I think a healthy system working. That smaller groups of people are coming up with ideas hashing them out together, engaging with people that are disagreeing with them, even in a, in a smaller setting, mm-hmm. and then going to the larger group to make a case and having that group assent and say, yes, we all agree. And yeah. It makes sense. Like you, it's funny you call it a Congress because it's like in a way, especially like on Tuesday Thursday night, I know people that you can present other people's proposals. So you're re- representing mm-hmm. that group of people or that person or that community. Uh, even if it, you might not even agree with that proposal in the first place, but you're there to represent the community. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's something that that has carried forward, and and I think um, I think should, should continue. Okay, okay I guess because we talked about things, unless you, there's other things that standards or you think have been done well or right, or things that have not. So, so I'll say another thing that has got that that is really valuable that we've carried forward, and that's um, the the documentation process, mm-hmm. the archival process. So, you know, um, some of the earliest standards organizations are are groups like IEEE. Mm-hmm. You know, they've that have been around um, for for quite some time, and um, and they were just religious about documenting mm-hmm. agendas and meeting outcomes and, you know, um, issues of the day and like that kind of thing. Um, and that's, that's a role that the modern standards development organization continues to play for communities that are doing technical work. They are basically, you know, very, um, important like secretaries for the, um, for the committee. So the committee doesn't have to worry about like 
saving this sort of data, they do it. Um, and we know now why a decision was made 20 years ago or 30 years ago in a given space because um, these organizations have, you know, held on to that, that material. And that's like, you know, we were talking about archiving mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> earlier. Um, maybe you don't, maybe people don't really, you don't necessarily care about history or whatever, but, but one day, like somebody, people do, lots of people do. Um, and it, so it does save in the immediate sense, it saves the headache of having to like, like relitigate, you know, a decision that was made or, you know, whatever, or at least providing some context for why we're in the state that we're in because the state that we're in today is a function of decisions that were made 20 years ago. So, you know, it's just, it's just funny because I feel like I always want to learn about history. Not when it's too late, but it's like, like at the end of when we're doing something, not like while we're doing it. And it's like weird because it's like, maybe we should be thinking about this stuff earlier. Um, like be more proactive rather than like, yeah. 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 And, and I, I think that's important. You know, I think people sometimes who do care about the history of things and who like to bring it up in the uh, process of making something, and I am guilty as charge of being one of those people. I mean, sometimes we end up getting kind of, um, you know, accused of, of uh, living in the past or, you know, like... You know, in the worst case scenario, it, it might be like, well, you know, you're you're just because we did used to do something that way doesn't mean we have to do it that mm-hmm. way, this way moving forward. Um, but and I I don't adhere to that. Like, let's <laughs> do change the status quo. But there there's oftentimes a decision making framework or a organizational framework that we can glean yeah. from how things used to go or how something happened back then that if we apply to the decision moving forward, we might find ourselves in a, in a more smooth, you know, kind of situation. And um, that's, that's sort of something, something else. I I think. Yeah. I was reading about, cause you brought up um, like whether we should keep old things or when we should replace them. And like, Recently, I've been reading about this idea called Chesterton's fence, and it's the idea that, like, when you encounter the fence, um, you you might want to get rid of it. And then it, his point was saying that if you get rid of it, you should at least know why it was put there in the first place, mm-hmm. instead of just saying like, "Oh, it's there. I want to get rid of it." Um, and I don't think it means that old things are better or you shouldn't get rid of old things. It's just saying that you need to be informed on like what was there in the first place and being able to know that means that I can say with confidence, like, Oh, I'm getting rid of this because of this reason. So it's weird. I think it's like new stuff's not always better and old stuff's not always better. But then I think maybe in the end, it's just like, we don't really want to think about it. Like we just want to just do what mm-hmm. feels, feels good or whatever versus like thinking through like um, those kinds of issues. And I, I really like this quote. I think I don't remember exactly, but it was something about like tradition it's almost like he said it was the democracy of the dead. It's like people that are not represented are people that aren't alive. <laughs> and the tradition is what they are saying, which I thought was super interesting. I, I, I like that on, on, on multiple levels. Um, you know, one thing that helps in my mind is just when you come across those, those 
things where you go, I wonder why this is here. This doesn't seem to make sense. Um, I try really hard to just get super curious about not only what it is, but about the people behind that, Mm, because, you know, I have to believe that the people who came before me in a given space were really smart, you know, um, individuals who, who cared. So it seems like the right thing to do to like honor that Mm. by being curious about what they were doing and, and understanding it because I would really want, I really would love that in the future when I'm dead. Right. I would like for them to be like, Oh, well, I, I understand why Jory did that. It doesn't make sense now, but you know, at the time, yeah. yeah like, like let me pay my little, my digital, mm-hmm. you know, press F and pay my respects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah really cool. dark and morbid. Just <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I just thought that this whole thing is so interesting because the other podcast we did on like liturgy, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of deal, I think. I guess another question I've had is like relating to standards is more like how do we even go about making a standard in the first place? Um, I think even with any tradition or liturgy, it's like, is it top down or is it bottom up and or is it in the middle? And there's this idea of like it to me, based on like being in JavaScript, it if I feel like it's always someone in the community did something in a really weird way, but it works. Um, and then eventually everyone's using it. And then the standard is that you just adopt some version of the thing that everyone uses right now, whether yeah. it was jQuery or anything like that. Yeah. And, and so what's, what I think is like important to note is like that, that depending on the industry and the technology and the space, like standards get made all kinds of different ways in the web. We tend to, um, now today we tend to want to pave cow paths mm-hmm. so to speak yeah. um where we let our open source communities or community groups or whatever just kind of go wild with ideas and stuff and then we figure out okay what 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 really needs to stick around and um what needs to become part of the platform and and so it, it goes sort of that direction um and you know more or less works. Um, but there are still uh, a lot of industries and spaces where you, we can't do things that way um, because they would be too costly. And here we're looking at things like, you know, hardware and that kind of thing. You, you can't, if you do that too many times with like, uh, like chips and things like that, well, they're like, that's an immense amount of cost in terms of like, just like the silica even to like produce these things, you know, you, the, it, it, and then there's a long like life cycle between figuring out whether that thing works or not. You have to really figure some stuff up up, up front. Um, when you look at other uh, types of applications for technology, if it's something that is in healthcare or safety, you need to know that <laughs> there are um, that that you're not endangering lives that you're not, um, that, that you're, that you're not, uh, putting something out there that could really, really move the, move us all backwards a little bit. So it just, it, we, we kind of have a bit of a luxury in the web space because the safety net is, you know, the worst, 
<laughs> it's get, the stakes are getting higher and higher for us because right now the, the worst case scenario, are... right? The more users, the more the more like we're doing things on the web platform, like um, you know, buying homes and you know, putting our identities yeah. and you know out there. So so you do have real potential. Um, serious negative repercussions, which is part of the reason why it's important to start thinking about standardizing these things because, you know, we're like uh, the security and privacy and these concerns that we used to not worry about on mm -hmm. the web. We, we have to. Now. Right. And then similarly, because there's more people, the whole like usability and how easy is it like intuitiveness and like those kind of concerns. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's really complicated. It's not just like, does it look good and is it efficient? Yeah. Those are like obvious things, but then all these other parts come yeah. up and it's like, no wonder it takes a long time. It's yeah. And, and are we potentially like marginalizing different groups of people because, you know, we have, we've decided that, you know, to, to use a s important system, you need a network connection speed hmm. that looks like this or a device that looks like that. You know, um, if, if the answer to any of those questions is yes, then you've just disadvantaged somebody mm -hmm. and, you know, in a really kind of like literally the systematic level, I guess. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> at, a, at a systematic level. Exactly. And then, yeah, related to that, it's also like this idea if, if you do the cow path thing, um, maybe that use case isn't even relevant in a few years and we're looking for the long term. So, like, maybe it takes a few years to standardize, and by that time, standardize, no one cares anymore. It's like, how do you know to think? long term and then also like holistically on the standard where it was like I think one of the problems that with um it seems like that one of the issues that could come up with even with say T three nine, the whole proposal system and um individual features is that no one's it's hard to think holistically on different things. Um and so you might add if you add everything individually it makes sense. But then when you combine them it doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah, like it may be a case that because we're operating in this world. The, the, the sum isn't really greater than, mm -hmm. than its parts because right. together it, it is, it feels like it lacks cohesion. Mm -hmm, yeah. And, you know, I think that's a, a complaint people have right. of the platform. Um, a valid one, frankly, like a mishmash of, I mean, this is what JavaScript feels like right now. Um, and it's like, are we going to embrace that or, and it's kind of hard not to because there's so many like stakeholders, like you said, or users or mm -hmm. different use cases. It's like, what is JavaScript? And I think people have also talked about how JavaScript is um, not really owned by anyone anyway. So there's not, it's a good thing and a bad thing because everyone can do anything they want, but then there's no like people that want, it's like you want that one person to decide the vision of JavaScript is this, but like, this committee and not everyone agrees on that. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. Yeah. It's how it is. It, it, it is definitely how it is right now. Um, but, but that's exactly right. I mean, I think the committee a lot of times gets, you know, a lot of, um, you know, mm -hmm. valid complaints because, because the, it, it seems disjointed or, you know, um, like there's, there needs to, there wants to be a roadmap of some kind, but at this point, JavaScript is so ubiquitous. It's used in so many places and so many different ways that it's almost, it seems like it, it would be an insurmountable task yeah. to come up with that roadmap. Um, so.
you know, maybe, and, and so to that end, like maybe we need to kind of think about, and, and this is where the, this is one of the um, motivations, I think, in a way behind um, TC53, which is the new kind of sister technical committee for 39, where we're focusing on JavaScript in more uh, like IoT type mm-hmm. settings. Um, you know, is there a secure version of JavaScript? Is there an IoT version? Yeah, like kind of, yeah. without splitting the language? I right, guess. exactly. Without, without, like, is there some kind of subset or are there some new, like, APIs that we need to service that use case? You know? Yeah. I mean, there are definitely constraints that the committee specifically has put in. Like, I guess that's true for any standard, but, like, JavaScript's, like, the whole, there's one JS and, like, everything's backwards compatible. You, once you add something in, you can't get rid of a deal. Um, and that limits what you can do. And then also, like, not adding multiple modes or different years for certain things, too. Yeah. A, a lot of people complain about that, but I think um, I, I, I value a constraint like that because I think constraints... In, are true. Uh, in uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think they help, you know, you be... I think they help make things more make solutions more creative like and you also have to think then about the consequences of adding something in if you know that the the stakes are really high you Mm -hmm. can't you know um so i i hear people who say that but i i yeah it's just hard like I, i think especially online it's like you can simultaneously have people that think that the standard moves too fast and too slow at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of wondering, what do I do here? And I feel like that with even Babel and what I'm doing in open source with our project, which is very related to the, the committee itself. So it's also weird mm-hmm. intersection there. Um, it, it's like you, you feel like lose-lose. Um, every decision is not going to work out that well because they're not, like the whole situation is not that great. Um, but we're all using it. So it's like either, I mean, it seems like for most people that in that situation, the answer is just use something different. So like for people, it might be not use JavaScript or make a new language um, or continue to stick with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. It's so tricky. Yeah. And my next question is kind of around like, like how even though well there's standards process but then there's like the standard itself and how that evolves over time so like what what is like the life cycle of mm-hmm. the standard yeah that's a great question um and you know again it's kind of one of those things you have to caveat with it does depend on the kind of standard that you're you know creating but um one of the fundamental principles of a lot of the formal standards developing organizations is that the the output the standard itself should be available in you know in some form in perpetuity so that you know 10 years later if somebody really wanted to they could implement that standard in their product or whatever you know following whatever rules the the SDO might have have had so you know depending on how long the the working group or the committee really thinks this um, 
the technology needs to to serve. And sometimes it's not that long. Sometimes mm-hmm. like these things are created with the expectation that they will be obsolete okay. in a few years. And that's okay because they're planning that up front. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's really interesting. Yeah. I feel like, especially in open source, you're not thinking about that. You're just no. like, I want my thing. Either it's for me and I don't care, or I want this to like live on forever. Right. Right. And, and, that that sort of the idea that a technology can have you know a planned life cycle and be deprecated is a very um, common like okay idea and standards which would but it's not really in open source as much. I would love to like figure out how to talk about yeah. project succession planning and project like like the those kinds of life cycles for open source projects because this is a tangent I'm sorry I have been thinking a lot lately about like you know how we have a lot of open source projects and and things that have especially in the last like 10 years that got super popular. And then just like that, they were passe and, and, but we've got all these applications, we've got all of these sites using them. And so there's like this sort of like uh, the analogy I've been like describing is like sort of like a garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We we have like this garbage dump of like, Yeah. yeah. So, so how do we clean that garbage dump up? And, you know, anyway, so that's. No, no, like we could talk about this song. Because I, I feel like um, it's almost like it's funny. It's even like our our desire to live forever as people, and it reflects in the work that we do, mm-hmm. and not understands like life and death cycle of people, but also like things. And then that's what I feel like a lot. Of, that's what leads to a lot of burnout because we feel like we have to like when you sign up, which you don't sign up, you just like somehow accidentally become a maintainer of something. Uh, and then you feel like you have to do it forever and yeah. like leaving is impossible or leaving is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, or you've already left mentally, but you're still there. You're still there because if you, if you physically move on, then who's there? Like that, that's, that's a pretty big problem. And I, I really care about it because I, like, I know lots of people who find, who, who are either currently in them themselves in that situation or they have figured out how to move on, but they are not satisfied because it's always in the back of your mind it well yeah because you know because that transition wasn't it was rough you know it didn't it it wasn't planned for it just sort of like it happened in some way that they they now look back on that time as something that like they're they're not necessarily ready to reflect positively on on the work that they did because they Mm -hmm. still feel kind of um just upset about how, how the transition happened because it could have gone more smoothly or whatever. And so this sort of like uh, in open source, you know, we, we need to think about succession planning for the individual maintainers and for the communities. Yeah. Um, and, and also for the like overall, overall yeah. E- yeah, web yeah. ecosystem. Um, and in the standards world uh, that, uh, that, for planning has been baked in to a certain extent to the process. And so that would be mm. something that I would really like to um, like kind of try and yeah. break, break into. Um, Cause like even just in our culture, we have BGFL like for life, you know, like mm-hmm. that's already reflected in the culture. And even if you don't want to leave, it's like, 
is the expectation. And then, yeah, like we were trying, like we were talking about this earlier too, of like open source and just the culture is around like being inclusive and welcoming as many people in as possible. But if we can't even figure out how to get people out, then that is leading to even more issues where like right. all we're doing is inviting people into like misery, I suppose. <laughs> right. Like maintaining something they don't know how to get rid of. And so we should figure that out before, not before, but like while we're figuring out the solution. Right. Like it, it needs to happen like hand in hand where we're, at, at the same time that we're really putting the, a little bit of pressure on main, on on these communities to open up their um, contributor base and invite more people into their communities. If if they're if they have unmet needs, one of which might be the need to get the hell out of there, <laughs> which is valid. Yeah. You know, then how like how how can we um, help um, facilitate that? Yeah. How, how can we help them? And and that's something you know that. Um, that I care a lot about. I haven't figured out exactly like it's one of those deals where it's like any individual person and like, here, here's what we can do. Here's, here's a, but how to sort of make that a broader pattern. I don't, yeah. I don't know yet. Not that it's like, it's like, I don't know if you can standardize that kind of thing, but I mean, even just knowing that people leave is yeah, like that in itself is interesting. Like knowing that like, Oh, people actually like, cause we could say all day, you should just leave the project and, or you should just quit stuff like that. But like, if you're not actually living that out and acting or seeing other examples, yeah. you're not going to feel willing to do you, it. You're not going to feel like that's actually a, a step you can, yeah. a possible step you can take. And like one thing um, that, so within the, within the open JS foundation, which is the new foundation of the merged node mm-hmm. and JS foundations. Now it's open JS. Um, we have, we brought Node, LibUV, and Express from the Node Foundation and 28 some odd other projects from the JS Foundation. Um, you know, probably five or six of which really functionally are done. They're mm-hmm. complete. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we decided to call those projects emeritus projects. Yep. And I picked, I, I say I picked, I, I argued for this name specifically because it, to me, it connotes, um, a, a grad, like like a level of respect, like yeah. thank you for for the um, contribution that you made to the ecosystem, but we respect now that your work is functionally done. Yep. And so, I hope that's one small thing that just sort of says it's a it's fine, it's a good thing. You know, if you feel like your the work here mm-hmm. is done, let's turn this into something to celebrate. Yeah, and let's help you as a maintainer feel good about like the the community that you have built you know the 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 effort that your team put in like let's celebrate that and um that's one small step yeah and i think for um projects so even like for about we have i guess we use the word alumni which is basically kind of the same and then i've seen other projects do the same where like once a trigger steps down they get added to the Samaritan's list and you know like we said it's like a badge to like when you leave, I mean, you have to do the hard thing of removing them from access to all these things for like security reasons, but we shouldn't like erase their contributions, obviously. Like they did a right. lot of work and it's important. Um, so maybe in a way, just as much we celebrate people joining the team, <laughs> we should celebrate them leaving too. And yeah. kind of don't make a big deal about that. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I would like to see just as a pattern generally, whether it's an open source contribution or like 
like somebody leaving your company. So yeah. one thing that we did at Boku, mm-hmm. um, which was weird for a lot of people, but a lot of people always like came up to me and thanked me for it was when somebody left the company, mm-hmm. we wrote them a, a, a farewell post, you know, and celebrated what they did, you know, mm-hmm. what they brought to the team and that kind of stuff. And um, my colleague, Mike Panisi wrote a, a a lot of wonderful posts over the years and people just love that because, um, you know, it didn't erase their time with, you know, here at the company. Yeah, sure. Really. And when I get back into the standards, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, well, I guess my question is around like, how do you know that someone's adhering to the standard then? So it's mm-hmm. almost like verification of the standard because the standard is a document, which in a sense is like kind of like a language slash code. Um, and so I was thinking about like with D thirty nine, we have test two six two. There's like yeah. a, there's a set of acceptance tests. That's like the phrase that we use, so that you know that that a, a JavaScript engine is like actually doing JavaScript, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's a great question. So in the past when they would produce the standard, um, again, these were largely for physical goods. It was like this very descriptive document. Um, and, you know, you knew that it worked because when you made it and you plugged it into the other thing it was supposed to be interoperable with, it worked or it didn't, <laughs> you know? And so it was kind of, and, and, you know, a good that failed was just going to fail. Mm-hmm. So, so you knew that it, it didn't really adhere, but, um, over time in the digital space, the idea of what a standard is has shifted from this notion of like, oh, well, it's, it's still just a document. A standard is still just a piece of paper with steps written on it yeah. um, to it's it's a uh, it's a document and a test or I'm sorry, first a document and an implementation. You have to have, you know, both things for this to really be something that we consider a standard. And then thirdly, we, I think TC39 is one of the, TC39 and um, the the W3C's um, web platform test community is another uh, longer running um, example of this. I think are starting to really push forward this idea that for us to have a web standard, we need the document, we need the reference implementation, and we need the tests. The next version of that is going to be all three of those things and documentation. Kind of like examples and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think what we're going to see is like this this gr- this growing set of criteria criteria for um, real. I'm using air quotes here. Real standards are that document, the tests uh, that are. Um, Ideally, something that you can both consume and then upstream your own contributions to, and kind of you know treat in somewhat of an open source capacity. Their reference implementation and documentation on MDN, probably. Yeah, yeah, for web at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, since you brought up wanting to get more people into standards, I guess what are your current, what's your current thinking on doing that? Actually, one thing is that. Um, first off, I hope everybody finds standards as interesting, if not more so than I do. Like, first off, let me just start there. Like, I hope that you find this interesting. And if so, um, super, that's like a great place to start. 
but from there, one of the challenges is that a lot of our standards organizations don't have good on-ramps for people who care about these things, but aren't affiliated with organizations that are dues-paying members. This is a complaint about the standards development system. You have to be, and this is, this is, really old, but you have to be, you know, a member in order to quote, have a say or have a vote in, um, or, 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 uh, or participate in some meaningful way in the work of a, of a technical committee. Some groups have, um, invited experts you know, like, me, I guess. like you, <laughs> <laughs> some groups have a Henry. Um, and these are folks that, you know, the committee deems have, um, Ex, you know, critical expertise that the, the committee needs in order to consider all of um, all as, aspects and facets. But there's a lot of burden on invited experts because, unlike the case of a of a dues paying member, they probably don't have um, the funds mm-hmm. to travel. Uh, <laughs> Which is why I only go to the one where I live. <laughs> right. And this is, but this is a shared problem in like W3C and yeah. other, other groups as well. So, um, like that, that is a, a, a problem space that we need to tackle if we're going to figure out, um, within these older systems where the organization itself, the operation of the organization is funded by dues from members, yeah, yeah. which is important. Um, how do we make sure that um, the the organization continu- continues to function and provides the the services that it provides, and we have uh, space for invited experts and others from the community to come participate without necessarily having to pay, mm-hmm. you know, the the large sums of money that groups like Google mm-hmm. or whatever Microsoft pay. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, another space that um, or another area that um, people can kind of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say hack the system here, but it's a little bit of a system hack is that a lot of these organizations have um, uh, non-for-profit um, right. members. And these are universities, they're governments, they're um, nonprofit foundations that are uh, participating in the work of a, of a committee. And a lot of times they are in the same boat and that they can't necessarily fund travel, mm-hmm. but they do get a seat at the table. They do get to, they do get invited to the meetings. They do get to, um, you know, weigh in on committee matters and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there, there's a, certainly a possibility, especially for those who might be affiliated with the university, um, to participate in standards work, um, that way. One thing that we're hoping to do at the OpenJS Foundation is uh, because the OpenJS slash entity formerly known as JS Foundation has um, a non-for-profit status with the W3C and the um, and ECMA International is to figure out how we can sort of serve as a bit of a funnel for our project communities to provide feedback into specific working groups from their broader community work. And um, Dan Ehrenberg actually has done a lot of work to kind of kick some of this um, thinking off with his um, outreach groups around education Mm -hmm. and frameworks and stuff like that and tooling. I was going to bring that up too. Like it's almost the question is like, what is the goal with all this? Is it the goal to bring more people to that, those meetings or to get people involved in general? And it's like the same with open source. Yeah. 
maybe it's fine for people to just feel comfortable to to GitHub issues. Maybe they don't even want to be in the meeting. They just want to be involved. Or yeah. these uh, outreach meetings with like specific groups of people, whether it's educators or tooling, um, maybe that's enough to give the feedback because they don't need to be in the meeting if someone can represent them. Well, at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and I think I'm, I'm hoping that that most people would agree that what is necessary is to ensure that their concerns are are being heard mm-hmm. and that their concerns are, and needs and use cases um, are being recorded somewhere and considered. Um, and that's to. That's, I think, the number one problem to, to solve. But then there's this other pass that I think helps make a standard more universal and more like inclusive, which is the pass of have we gone and considered, you know, among specific communities of possible stakeholders who don't always have a voice, um, you know, and I'm thinking here of like, if we've got a like, a network networking standard um, that we expect, you know, to do X, Y, or Z. And, and um, we haven't spoken with groups that build technologies in environments that like in, in rural Africa, for mm-hmm. example, like, like we need to be making sure that everybody is getting a chance to, um, mm-hmm. To have eyes and to have a say in a standard that they may end up needing to or being stuck with, um, which would be like the worst case scenario um, that they didn't necessarily have a, have a say in. Um, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like just government, I guess. It is, yeah, it is. I mean, like, you know, I think we're kind of seeing this on a, a little bit more of like a, um, in an acute way with like AI technologies and, um, you know, the, uh, there's a story right out right now about San Francisco, um, banning, um, AI for like law enforcement, you know, that kind of stuff, because there hasn't been enough, um, analysis among, um, experts who focus on like algorithmic bias oh, and okay. that kind of thing in these, in, in those spaces. So it's like, we shouldn't just, it shouldn't be um, ready, fire, aim. You know? right, it's right. like, yeah. so uh, yeah, <laughs> lots of, lots of, stuff. Lots of th- stuff. And well, I guess lastly, then um, I want to bring up another topic you, you're interested in, which is like how to, well, I mean, we're talking about like committees and, and standards and, and ultimately it's about people. Um, and so it's like, how do we build the community people and also the leaders that will like shape the future of where we're going. Um, and I, I guess, I mean, it's funny, even on Tuesday night, we have like champions, we call them champions. Mm-hmm. Like those are the people that push those specific things forward. Because a lot of times I, I feel like people will say that if no one, if there's not at least one person kind of taking ownership, like it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. It just kind of yeah. stops. It's yeah. Like, how do we have that? And then it's the same problem with open source too. Like, People can kind of do their own thing, but then you need someone or a group of people kind of moving things with a vision kind of idea. Yeah. So, so that's sort of like the, the, the problem of like, oh, if everyone's in charge, no one's in charge, you know, I think that's the way the saying goes, but, um, or if everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible. Um, there's some, some version of that. Um, so, 
um, we have this misconception that the that the work is all technical, right? That mm-hmm. what matters is you know that is achieving the correct uh, technical outcome, um, and beyond that, who cares? Okay. Well, wrong, because, you know, first off, there's no such thing as a correct technical outcome. It's just a decision A versus decision B. And one decision A may set you on one path and decision B will set you on a slightly different path. It's just which reality do you want to live in? So, uh, yeah, it's trade-offs. Exactly. The technical interoperability problem is not that's not really that it is hard, but it's not like that. It's not that hard compared well, to... Well, in some sense, it's the easiest part it, because people are harder than... Exactly. That, so. exactly. Um, people are the hardest part of software. So um, what 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 the way I kind of have been thinking about this for, for a while now is like, you know, how, how can we solve um, the human interoperability problem, mm-hmm. which will help improve a lot of our technical interoperability problems? And, you know... Um, one of the things that I've, um, you know, been active in lately is um, TC39's Code of Conduct group um, through uh, and, and others, uh, other code of, codes of conduct group groups. But it's not to me, those aren't about um, seeking out bad behavior and mm-hmm. punishing them, but rather like how can we create environments where people feel like they can come and give the, their best selves uh, to that committee um, and produce uh, produce work that they feel good about it in a way that they feel good about. Um, and, and that sort of creates something more of a positive, you know, cycle, a virtuous cycle of, of um, you know, technical production. And um, we think about it, it TC39 in the co- in our code of conduct group is something of a um, um, of a culture shift activity uh, because what the older school standards bodies and the technical committees that have been around for a long time and the TC39 has been around for 20 plus years so it, that's a long time <laughs> they they have the little bit of this like um, forgive me but it's you know a little bit of like the gray you know hair problem that. Um, uh, you, that a lot of our younger um, um, it, participants kind of want to change a little bit. We mm-hmm. want to feel uh, fresher, more responsive, and um, more, you know, open to healthy debate as opposed to kind of that uh, maybe the older school thinking around like some person at a lectern like preaching for hours. Um, so that's part of this, this shift. And, um, I think it's something that has happened, not just within standards, but, um, mm-hmm. certainly within, um, broad, like broader, yeah, broader culture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like at the meetings, like this, you know, now they have mics and there's like a whole queuing system with oh, the app gosh. and like versus like, uh, before we're, I mean, yeah, I guess people were raising their hands before, but even before that, you just talk and then you just argue and then kind of wait for people to yeah. shout over each other kind of thing. It is, it is night and day difference. And I like that's coming. And I, I wasn't even, I didn't even go to all that many, you know, um, meetings, but just in, even in the last like two years, since I've been going a lot more regularly 
it just feels um, like like it's a little different. It's a little better and it gets, it gets better and better each time, I think. Um, but I think I'm noticing that people are more considerate. They're more measured, you know, they're, um, you know, I hear the words, thank you way more than I ever heard before. Um, and, you know, I do think some of the tools that we've brought in, um, Brian's, Brian Charlson's TCQ app. And, um, those are all like little techniques. And so I'm hoping that, um, we can bring in more like, not, I I don't want to call it like sociological tricks, but they're sort of like, they're, they're little behavioral dynamic changes that, that we can make to make the whole, um, the the work of the the committee, just make everybody feel better. Cause yeah. Like you're not like purposely trying to make things emotional or anything. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, we were talking this earlier with, like, the whole, like, I feel like with science, we want everything to be objective. With the standards, it's all about the technical. It's like, you have to remember we're all human and, like, we interact and you, like, the whole thing, same thank you, like, same in open source when people make a PR, like, you can still say that first, even if you have some kind of criticism. Yeah. Thank you for your input, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, forget that, like, it's not that you don't care about the technical, but, like, it's, I feel like it's really hard for us to, say that it's like and it's like technical and this other thing yeah we always want to like create this like dichotomy between like technical and non-technical when it's like how do we think through the complexity of like the holistic view of both at the same time yeah, yeah. and uh, you know there, there's there's this there's a certain science to it in that like you know we're not trying to make anything more emotional mm-hmm. and far, far that's actually far from the case it's it's more like can we um like help people feel more positively, like ha- generally happier about the work that they're doing because they're more likely to do better work in the committee if they feel happy about it. You know, it's um, you don't do your best work when you're miserable. Right. Like, um, and you know that that's I mean that's true. So we how, how can we how can we change that? And so you know um, how do we do that by um, giving people good techniques and tools. How do we do that by, um, you know, finding good, um, like even just like training classes for people who, um, maybe they're fantastic technologists, but they aren't good at running meetings. Well, let's, let's look at what it takes to run a good meeting. Let's do a quick, like 45 minute lesson on running effective meetings, like that kind of stuff, like just to help them be the best version of themselves they can be. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like that is lacking in the open source too, because everyone gets into it because of the code and the commits and like the graphs and stuff. But then when you become a maintainer, you realize you are lacking every other way. And those other things somehow end up being, well, it feels more important because you're lacking. You're like really realize like, oh, I don't know. Like, how do we set up a meeting? Do we need a meeting? Um, how do you make releases and how do you talk to people and sales and, networking and like all these aspects that are like i guess you know it feels like a company or standards like community it's just like all these other things that have they're all tied back to code but like you don't learn them in school or anything it's just like people stuff yeah yeah um well that's that for me is the more interesting part i mean i try i don't say this too often but like most of the time i don't I care about the technical outcome. Yes. But I kind of, uh, by 
way of example. I say, I don't really care about that because, you know, there are a lot of smart people, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me um, about these technologies. And I will leave them to make the best technical decision. And my job, you know, the thing that I will emphasize is like, how can I support those people, you know, to be the best, um, feel the best, have the best support they can, the tools and resources around them so that they feel, you know, equipped and good. I think this is a good place to stop. Yeah, I guess just to end, uh, if people want to reach out to you or want to hear about what you're working on, or I guess what are you working on now? Yeah, so um, working on um, the Oasis Open Projects Program, which is a new um, uh, program for open source projects or technical committees um, to uh, work in the same sort of organizational umbrella and under the same system to produce a formal de jure that's official, official standard, um, and, and as well as uh, different open source um, efforts. So that, uh, if you want to talk about th- more about open source and open standards and that bridge, um, or if you want to talk about like uh, just general sort of leadership and communication for these kinds of communities, I am here to help it at jory.com. On Twitter. On Twitter and GitHub and Slack and IRC and (laughs) Signal, WhatsApp, (laughs) WhatsApp, whatever. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Always a pleasure.